Sentire Media. Ciao a tutti and welcome to Venice Talks, a podcast series about Venice in Italy. My name is Monica Cesarato and I am a Venetian food and travel blogger. I'm going to put my insider knowledge at your disposal to help you discover Venice at 360 degrees. Each week I will be chatting to the people who really matter, the Venetian. So follow me on the discovery of his artisans, writers, fashion designers, artists, glassmakers, bloggers and much, much more. Come to visit Venice the right and sustainable way. You can find me on my blog www.monicacesarato.com and also on all social media. Enjoy the episode! Welcome to Venice Talks, episode number 13. This episode is sponsored by Vineria La Marone in Venice, where you can sit down and taste the finest local Veneto wines and try some Venetian cicchetti. You can find a La Marone in Calle dei Sbianchesini 1131 in the Sestiere San Polo and online at www.allamarone.com. Hi everybody, welcome back to Venice Talks. Tonight my special guest is Philip Quinn Jones, renowned author of mystery, suspense and thriller novels who lives in Venice. Hi Philip, how are you? Hello Monica, I'm I'm fine. How are you? Okay. As I was telling you, I just banged my knee so not so well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, very, okay. I'm very sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's all right. That. It happens. It it's, happens. Uh, it's, lovely, so, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's first uh, let's start by saying uh, who you are. I mean, you know everywhere in the world by now. I mean, you sold. <laughs> oh my god! Well, my come guy. on, you sold loads and loads and loads of copies of your novels. Uh, but let's start from the beginning. You live in Venice, but uh, you are from where? Right, I'm from Swansea in South Wales, uh, where I lived and where I went. To, uh, I went to, to university in South Wales, and then during the 1990s, when I was a computer programmer, I kind of lived and travelled all through Europe, mm-hmm. uh, which is when I, which is when I ended up in Italy for the first time back in mm-hmm. 1994. Oh, okay. Um, I worked um, for six months in Frascati, which um, Ooh, nice. some listeners might know is is very near Rome. Yeah, nice wine, nice wine. Nice wine, yes, lovely place, lovely, lovely place. It is, it's beautiful, it's on the hills, it's really nice. That's right, yes, and it's also the head of the European Space Agency in Italy. Oh, I didn't know that. It is, yes, they're they're called ESRIN, and they're the the information gathering department of the European Space Agency. And I thought it was going to be the most exciting job ever. And... uh, (laughs) And, and it really wasn't because all my job was was compiling a database of publications and subscribers. You know, I wasn't building satellites or anything. Yeah, so um, you're actually just doing something that you could have done anywhere in the world. There's nothing I could have done anywhere in the world. But but the, of course, the point is, is that I was I was living very close to Rome, mm-hmm. and it was fantastically exciting, as you can imagine. You know, I was probably mm. about 27, 28 at the time, and I, I didn't like the job very much, um, but. I came away from that thinking, well, I, I really, really want to go back to Italy in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, of course, uh, we did. I mean, um, I, I met my wife in 1998, it would have been. And we always kind of had this dream that, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live and work in Italy? Mm-hmm. And then we both lost our jobs. Um, oh, OK. In 2011, yes, which doesn't sound so great. Um, because we were both working. Oh, it was good. Life. It's good in a way. Look at where it got you. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, 
as, as it turns out, we were very, very fortunate. Um, but we were both working in the IT department of a big bank. And like mm-hmm. many banks in Britain, the United States, also in Italy, it was one of those banks that was sliding out of business. And mm-hmm. so everybody was losing their jobs. Tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people lost their jobs during that period, which was terrible. Wow. Quite frightening. You know, we knew people every week who would be losing their jobs. And we thought, what are we going to do? We're middle uh-huh. aged. We work in a, a sector of the industry where, you know, which is dead basically for the next five, six, seven years. What are we going to do? And then this is a true story. I met a man in a pub um, Mm -hmm. who told me about teaching English as a foreign language and how that was Uh a job to do. And that's what we decided to do. We sold our apartment. um, We got rid of the car. We got rid of probably half of what we actually owned. And we will teach English in Venice. And 10 years on, we're still here. Wow, that is a bold, that's a bold, Lisa, that's a bold move. Well, everybody says that. And it's it's lovely when people say that. And it really is nice when people say that. But what I always say is that how we just did something we really wanted to do, you know, we just did something we really Mm. wanted to do. Because we were both, you know, in our 40s. And you think you're never going to have an adventure again uh-huh. at that age. And all of a sudden, uh, we were on one, yeah, which was amazing. I mean, I remember the first day. So how, how, did you ca- how did you come to pick Venice? Venice was the city we loved most in Italy. And, you know, I, we both had mm. the occasion to travel a bit and see lots of Italy. And I really like Rome, and Florence is beautiful, and Naples is mad and crazy, but it's it's brilliant at the same time. Sicily is lovely, but Venice was the place we just kept coming back to. And what was it about Venice? Um, well, of course, there is nowhere like it. Mm. If you, there are other beautiful cities in Italy, of course, there are. Venice is a city where you have to walk around. Isn't that wonderful? You know, it's, it's mm. just so democratic. Whoever you are, you have to walk around. And yeah, that's true. Yeah, the fact is, wherever you go, you see something which is which is beautiful or interesting, and that's not mm-hmm. true very many places in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's why we decided. And I, I assume there. also, it was easier also because, in a way, since you didn't have to have a car, uh, all it was <laughs> exactly. was a matter of finding yeah, a house. Exactly. That made and, it easier. Uh, yeah. You know, but when did you actually move to Venice? It was March 2012, so it's been 10 years now, yeah. And okay, origi- okay. Yeah, 10 years. So originally the idea had been that we would just move anywhere in Italy where we, that we could find a job. And uh, uh, Sorry, Philip, Philip, can you stay near the microphone because you keep uh, uh, cutting out every so often. So we just I? missed okay. the last uh, 10 is. seconds okay. you were talking. Yeah, move it a little bit closer. Yeah. yeah. Originally, the idea had been we would go anywhere in Italy where we could get a job, and then mm-hmm. I did a lot of work on this on the on the spreadsheet, and I thought, do you know what? I think we can risk doing a year in Venice, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, then we'll have enough money to you know go back to the UK or try somewhere else. 
So that's why we we stuck mm-hmm. with this because it's where we really really wanted to be, you know. Where is actually, I always think is very, I mean, when you plan these kind of moves or this kind of changes in somebody's life, I think it's always, uh, is a great thing to do. I think it doesn't matter how old you are or uh, the situation. I mean, when the time comes, if you have to do it, you have to do it. But it's also smart to do it always with a backup plan because, you know, in life uh, things uh, you know, generally yeah. speaking, we hope things go well, but if they don't, at least uh, you don't fall, you fall on your feet, as they say. So you do. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, really, the so, amount of work that Caroline, my wife, did on this was extraordinary because um, she had to work out almost 10 months of notice um, before oh. before she finished her job. I only had to work three months because I wasn't as, so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she had all this time, basically, to work on a plan. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, the, the, the detail in it, I'm in awe of what she did, really, because uh, I, I couldn't have done it. I would just have turned up and hoped for the best, but no. <laughs> and Yeah, I probably would there have. There is yes. always one live aim a couple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and how did the writing come about? How did you get into writing novels? Yeah, then? you know, the, the, the writing is something which I do owe to Venice. Mm-hmm. Because I, I'd never done anything serious like that before you know I'd written a couple of things back in my student days Mm -hmm. but actually sitting down and writing a novel no I'd never done anything like that it it wasn't something you it was in your mind that you would be doing no I mean really we never came to Venice with the intention of writing a book about Mm -hmm. it I mean I know there's a whole little sub-genre of people moving somewhere foreign and exotic and yeah. writing a book about my year in whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. never, ever the idea. It, it came about because uh, I was keeping a blog about moving to Venice, which mm-hmm. I called Venice Project. And the reason I kept that was, A, I wanted to remember what we were doing because this was obviously going to be the most exciting thing we'd ever do. So I wanted to have a record of it. And secondly, I wanted people back home to know how we were getting on. So I kept this blog for about two years, and I'd probably written about 100,000 words. And I just had 40 followers, most of whom were family, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm sure if I put this out as a self-published book, uh, I can sell more than 40 copies. I'm sure I can. So that's mm-hmm. what I did. I put it out with Amazon, um, and it sold Mm-hmm. reasonably well reasonably well and then I kind of forgot about it okay I've done that now it's nice to have it's a little book I can look at in my hands and think I did yeah is the satisfaction of saying I done it yeah exactly yeah, I, fi- I finished exactly. the project I did yeah, it exactly. I told myself I will do it and I did it I know yeah, yeah. two years being... after moving there and there's a little book you can look at yeah yeah been there done that yeah <laughs> and, then, and then amazingly it fell into the hands of um uh, my good friend John Beaton, who became my literary agent, because mm-hmm. John is absolutely passionate about Venice, and he buys pretty much every book that comes out about Venice. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, as soon as yours is translated, Monica, he'll have yours as well. I know. Well, he needs to because since he was so he was supposed to be my agent too. So I actually I got to call him again. Oh, of course, yes, hello, of course, right. yeah, hello. Yeah. Can you sell it? Can you sell my book in England now? Since I did yeah. it, <laughs> that'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he got in touch and he, he said he bought my book and he enjoyed it very much and wanted to know what I was working on. And I just mm-hmm. had this fragment, this tiny fragment of an idea for a crime novel. 
Mm-hmm. And this had come about for a number of reasons. Um, the first one was I was teaching uh, the honorary consul for Thailand. Ah, oh, okay. In, yeah, in Venice, uh-huh. who is an Italian, and I used to give him English lessons. And he was telling me about what the job involved, and I thought, this sounds so exciting, you know, so people come to you with problems and you have to, to sort mm-hmm. them out as best you can. Uh, the second was going around um, the, uh, you know, the, the modernist bank, the modernist bank building in Campo Manin. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, of course, yes. Yeah, well, what's it called? It's changed its name, hasn't it, recently? It's not. Oh, a, gosh, she keeps yeah. changing every surface. So yeah. I, I know it's yeah, a modern, it's the, the only modern building in the middle of The only modern building in that part, yeah. And they had this wonderful archive of um, papers and mats and mm-hmm. books. And we went there, uh, might have been the, the John Atta del Fai, the, the, the doors Oh, open. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the archivist there, I remember him pulling on these very thin white cotton gloves and taking down this book um, on the life of the Virgin Mary. Mm. A beautiful thing. And I thought, my goodness me, you could tuck that inside a jacket pocket. <laughs> so small and so precious. I think he said it was by um, Leonardo Bellini. Now, Leonardo oh, okay. Bellini, is yeah, not yeah. that famous. So in my in my book, he became Giovanni Bellini. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's one of the. Uh, it's still as the same family. I'm not sure if he was a brother. I think he was a, a cousin or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And the third great stroke of luck I had was again teaching. I was teaching somebody from the Guardia di Finanza. Oh. Who, yes, who do not just deal with tax. Policing, of but they also deal with art crime. Absolutely, that yeah, the gladiator deal with it. And he was having to go on a on a refresher course for his English because ah, he was okay. with Interpol. And so you had to give him some like technical uh, terms and things well, like exactly, that, right? Yeah. And so for ten weeks, for two hours every week for ten, two hours every week for ten weeks, uh, we talked about art theft and art crime. That is so and, cool. You know, what an amazing opportunity that was, and all those three things really came together into the book, which uh, which became The Venetian Game. Right. Uh, which then came out in 2017. But have you always been uh, a passion? Uh, do you, have you always had a passion for thrillers and, uh, you know, crime stories? I've or is always, something that you developed later? I've always, yeah, I think probably ever since I was quite young and really, you know, it starts probably with Sherlock Holmes and Agatha Christie, and then mm. I became very, very interested in um, the American noir mm. thrillers okay. of people like Raymond Chandler. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved, well, actually, no, when I, after I'd been in Italy for the first time, I became very interested in the Italian phenomenon of the giallo, mm. perhaps particularly yes. in cinema, yeah, uh-huh. which is this kind of slightly crazy thriller genre it's usually got the tropes of the you know the man in the black hat and the black gloves. <laughs> very, yeah, very, yeah, yeah, very, very stylish to look at. The plots don't necessarily have to make a great deal of sense, but they always looked so very stylish. And yeah, I yeah, yeah. Did you know? Did you know why? Uh, do you know why the actual uh, in Italian thrillers are called giallo? I believe it's because, and I think it goes back to Mondadori publishing um, cheap paperbacks with a yellow spine. Is that yes. correct? So yes. automatically yeah. for years and years and years, obviously now it's different, but I remember yeah. 
even when I was a kid, when you went to buy this cheap, they were nearly pocket size, let's say, but mm, they were quite yeah, small, yeah. you know, uh, paperback, whatever. And it, they were yellow. And then you had this series and, you know, like my mom, that she's a navid reader, she would have like, like a, oh, <laughs> hundreds, yes. you know, I mean, I, from all over the world, of course. Yeah, I mean, I have the kids at school telling me, you know, in English that they like yellow books. And then having to explain <laughs> that, yeah. Well, what you're saying is not incorrect. You're translating it correctly, but it, it doesn't mean the same in English. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, you are you are right. It is a different kind of. You know why I think also um, in Ita- because you know in Ita- in, it- in Italians we tend to be a bit uh, flamboyant and very uh, theatrical. Mm-hmm. Let's say in, in everything we do, and I always find that even when we write books or when you know plots. And stuff they're just so sometimes so crazy and unrealistic i think that there actually is this kind of operatic quality to some of them isn't there i think that's the thing is an opera yeah, yeah. Quality to some of them yeah <laughs> Mm. I mean, always. Yeah. And I got to say, right from the beginning, you always know who's going to be a killer anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the guy in the black gloves. It's very hard <laughs> to, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always a, it's al- yeah, it's always a butter. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, then from from this, what happened, man? You, you started with your first novel. It, it was immediately a success, right? Well, almost immediately. I mean, um, mm. I was very, very lucky. It, it came out in 2017. It was out for a year. And to be honest, it hadn't done very much business. But my publisher thought, this is okay. Nobody expects your first novel to be a success. Mm-hmm. You know, that just doesn't happen. And then there was this wonderful day when I was teaching and I'd finished my last class of the week. And I was checking my phone and there was a message from my editor. So, oh, this could be important. I'd better check it. Uh-huh. And, and she said, you're, um, you're Waterston's Thriller of the Month. Oh, my God. Yeah. And she said, we don't know how this has happened. Uh-huh. But nevertheless, you're Waterston's Thriller of the Month. You're going to be in the, in the window of every Waterston's bookshop in UK. Wow. For weeks. And I, I just remember that I was, I was at school and lessons had finished for the day. And I was just running through the corridors hoping to find somebody I knew who to I could... To tell them. Yeah. And I, I found, I think it was the cleaning lady who sort of knew because we had a cup of coffee sometimes and I just gave her a big hug and said, oh, you'll never guess what's happened. And of course, I'd lost... I'd probably forgotten all my Italian and probably forgotten most of the English as well. So I was burbling a lot of nonsense. <laughs> and she was going like, yeah, okay. She was, she was very nice about it. She was very nice about it. And she probably looked at you and thought, what's Waterstone? <laughs> Well, exactly, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, enough. Sorry. As I was saying, yeah, that that really changed everything in in terms of writing. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Now, how many books have you published then? Now, right, um, there have been six novels in the main series. Yeah, it seems yes, pretty strange. Because I don't, it doesn't feel like I've been doing it for that long. But yeah, six novels came come out in the Nathan Sutherland series, the Venice series. Uh, the most recent one came out uh, in July, and mm-hmm. because the series was doing well, my British publisher wanted to republish 
my little self-published book called The Venetian Game. Okay. But that came out again called To Venice With Love and some extra, lots of extra material, um, which was about the, the mood of Venice, basically. That's nice. Yeah, so I suppose it's uh, six novels and uh, and a travelogue, I suppose we'd call it. You're actually quite prolific as a writer, Rob, because well, that's more than a book a year. It's uh, yeah, it's it's just over a book a year, but that's including one book which I kind of reworked. So that's what yeah. my, publisher, my publisher likes a book a year, and I that's manageable. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I always say that if, if people are enjoying reading them, and I still enjoy writing them, then I'm very happy to work to that. It's uh, it's it's mm-hmm. very lucky to be able to. do And I got to say, probably living in Venice as well, even though. In truth, we don't have a much of crimes, thank God. <laughs> it actually, it must be a never-ending source of inspiration, walking around and thinking, ooh, this could happen here. Yeah, ooh, you, that just, could happen there. You, you just have to walk around and keep your eyes open and look at things, and you will see something which is interesting that you could build a story mm-hmm. around. Or, and also as well, you need to read the newspapers because, you know, Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, and you get ideas from that. Oh, my God. Yeah. But the yeah, thing is, yeah, yeah, you know, Venice is a very, very safe city. But if you're mm-hmm. walking around it at night, and certainly when I was doing that, when we came here, and I didn't know the city, and I have no sense mm-hmm. of direction, I get lost really, really easily. So imagine that in Venice. Mm. You know, I would get a little bit lost walking around at night, and you'd suddenly think, what happens mm. if I turn a corner and, you know, the Calais just ends in a blank wall or it ends on the canal? And what, what happens if I then hear footsteps behind me? You know, it's, um, mm-hmm. it's not that the city is, feels dangerous, but there is always that slight air of mystery about it and of suspense about it mm. you know the the shadows the fog. i think it's also the lighting the particular lighting of absolutely venice the light, because, you know yes, absolutely yeah all, yeah all the all the lamps and stuff that makes it yeah. and it's uh, the, the buildings all to each other and the small alleyways yes i mean venice is a never-ending alleyway exactly. <laughs> just one yeah. after another yeah so it's, so, it's built for let's that. talk about you you and your wife living in Venice. So what is, what? let's say, as because uh, up to now, I've all interviewed Venetians or people that are, you know, Italians that live in Venice. What is it like for a foreign person to live in Venice? What is it like for a foreign person to live in Venice? Okay, if you're doing this, and if you're doing it long term, you have to prepare yourself. You have to realize that it's not going to be a holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to realize as well, there will be a culture shock, no matter how well you think you know somewhere, no matter mm-hmm. how often you mm-hmm. visit somewhere, it is different when you live there. Absolutely. And, yeah, you have to brace yourself for that and get ready for that. Because after a couple of months, you won't be on holiday anymore. This will be a place where mm-hmm. you live, and there will be things that seem unfamiliar to you and a little bit strange and you don't quite know what to do and most of your friends are thousands of miles away and you have to prepare yourself for that um, and the best way you can prepare yourself for that is to read as much as you can before you move and then when you arrive 
is to try and get a handle on the language. You should really do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, uh, having experienced this the other way, having lived in England, I think, and to understand that uh, there will be bad days. <laughs> yeah, there will be. There really you know? will be. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and that is not all perfect in the country you're going to. Yeah. Uh, but there is a perfect country. And then that you, if you're living with problems, the problems will be with you. That is not the country the problem. It, it, if you have a problem, you have a problem, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah, you, you can't leave them behind you. No, they'll, they'll, they'll yeah. go with you. Yeah, if you have them, they will go with you. Yeah. yeah. And of course, there's that, um, there's that pressure group, isn't there, which is Venezia non è Disneyland. And Venice yes. is Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it, I've always found it interesting now uh, what you were saying, you know, about doing the research. Unfortunately, how sometimes people decide to move to a country, not necessarily Italy, everywhere I'm uh, talking about, anywhere in the world, but they have this, as you say, this idea because they've been on holiday and that's what they expect. And then they get disappointed when they go there and things are different. And research both from living in coming to live in a country or even just visiting, I think is the uh, quintessential part of uh, every travel uh, experience. And unfortunately, I don't know if you agree with me, but I see less and less people doing this. I, I think you might be right. I mean, I think possibly in a city like Venice, where because of the nature of the city, you can probably get by without very much Italian because people... Mm have a reasonable idea but it does make a difference if you do have a basic handle on the language uh, for all sorts of reasons I think as well I mean I was very fortunate as I said I worked in Italy for the first time in 1994 and I Mm -hmm. remember my boss saying to me that you know it's everybody thinks when you move to Italy oh ice cream and pizzas and it's it's not that you know mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> I like okay. we do have ice cream and we do yeah. have pizza yeah but... <laughs> I like ice cream I like pizza but it, it's it, you know it's maybe not every day and exactly and there, there will come days and that won't be enough to make you happy yeah 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 absolutely and um listen something I always wanted to ask you your uh, uh, your novels. Have you ever based any of the characters in the in the books of um, people that you know around Venice? Oh, um, not really. No. Um, I'm trying to think now. I'll, I'll be honest about this. Uh, I I did have a student when I was teaching at a liceo, um, and she was probably year five, something like that which meant she was probably about 19 or 20 mm-hmm. years old. And she always turned up every day with, you know, sort of dyed jet black hair, usually wearing an Iron Maiden T-shirt. Oh. And, and I really admired her attitude. You know, she just kicked ass. You know, she took no rubbish from anybody. And uh-huh. she was really clever, really bright, really smart, and had very strong opinions about things. And I think possibly... She's the basis for Lucia Frigo in ah. uh, Angels of Venice. Ah, okay. And the other character, the other character, he's not directly based on him, but Dario, Nathan's best friend, mm-hmm. who has the story about riding a motorcycle through Venice um, to meet Pink Floyd at Nico's bar. <laughs> that was yep. a story told to me oh. by one of my by one of my adult students, and he swears it's true. Okay. And so I, I put that into the first book as a little tribute to him. And ah, so, nice. although, yeah, although Dario isn't based on this guy, 
I imagine but, that he looks like him. I, I I imagine he looks like him, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fun. Oh, that's uh, that's that's an interesting uh, story. God knows how many others you could find out with. <laughs> Above all, if you go and talk to some of the gondoliers or something, you never. Oh, the taxi, well, well, yes. Mm. Or the taxi drivers as well. They're, they're, oh well, yeah. I did. I did have a taxi driver who was a student. Yes. Yeah. Who had lots of interesting stories. Yeah. Mm. So you're actually working on a novel now. Yeah, oh, you're taking a rest. Yeah, no, I, I I get very little rest to be honest because I'm not I'm not writing. I'm thinking about the next one. So you um, feel you feel guilty that you're not writing. Well, I do really. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, I was on holiday a few years ago, and I'd submitted the book, and there was nothing for me to do, and I just felt really kind of twitchy and awkward, not doing anything. So I oh. thought. Well, I'll, I'll write a short story, and that will that will be something to keep me going. Oh wow! Yeah. So, oh, you're not like me when I procrastinate when the, when the editor gives me the deadline. It's like, oh, okay, I've got a month to yeah, go. Now it's time I, to write I, the book. I'm pretty good at procrastinating as well, to be honest. <laughs> Caroline <laughs> says that you know, with me, work expands to fill the time available to it. You know. But, yeah. yeah. So and do you actually get to do a lot of of um, historical research as well? Yeah, and that's interesting. Um, for my third book, um, The Venetian Masquerade, I mean, I, I love opera. It's mm-hmm. been a great passion of mine for, for decades now. And, you know, Venice... Uh, well, you're better, in the right place. What better city to write yeah. a novel set at the opera? Yeah, of course. And the idea of it was that somebody discovers a missing manuscript by Claudio Monteverdi. Mm-hmm. Um, for an opera called Prosepina Rapita. All we know about this opera, we think it was performed twice. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, it's lost forever. There's one tiny extract which remains and the libretto, and that's all we have. So I thought, what if somebody rediscovered this? Cool. And so I, I, it allowed me to set an, op- an opening scene at the opera. So in a way, I was thinking Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that. But then, of course, I, I wanted to write it in the Marciana Library, where they have an archive mm-hmm. of Monteverdi's works. And I just I would just go along there every day and and sit there with Monteverdi on headphones. Wow. I had, to, I had the chance to go through, you know, some of his existing manuscripts, you know, whether wow. you know that Peter is to be found on file in the archive, we just don't know. Do you actually do you have to ask a, pers- a special permission, or as a just a public person, you can just walk in and ask? A no, no, you have to you have to be a member of the library, yes, because ah. they, they they don't know who I am. <laughs> See, no, no, but no, no. What I meant, uh, yeah, yeah, I realize you're a member of a library, but as I mean, anybody can go as a member of a library, or do you have to be like a a, a, a professor um, or something in, like in that? In this in this particular case, I would all I had to do was I had to be a member of the library. And you have to fill out a form uh-huh. detailing what you want to see. Okay. Which means you go through the records, you go through the microfiche, through the computer records, and say, uh-huh. I'd like to see this manuscript, this reference. And then somebody will bring it to you and yeah. kind of watch over you discreetly as you, you go through it. Because you can't just go through flicking through an old... Yeah, yeah of course. No, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that, but I, <laughs> yeah. I had these visions of people coming down with the white gloves and everything. But that it's, was... It's, uh, it's kind of like that, yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, there I understand. I just wanted to understand if it's something that mm. is accessible to anybody 
as yeah, as yeah. long as you're, or if it's reserved to the uh, academics. Uh, that's yeah, you, you have to, to you have to fill out a number of forms, but, it ah, is but only yeah. fair, only fair. But it must be so interesting just sitting inside the Marciana with your earphones on, and all of a sudden you have a. The thing you it was a really happy experience. I really enjoyed writing that book. I mean, I enjoy writing them all, but that one was a little bit different because I thought I would deliberately do all I could to try and get myself into the right frame of mind for writing a novel about a missing opera manuscript. Yeah. Mm-mm. Ben, another thing that happened a few days ago with uh, Gregory Dowling and David Houston, you actually did a beautiful presentation at uh, Liberia Studium in Venice. Mm-hmm. And so for the people who are listening, Liberia Studium is one of the most beautiful uh, bookshops in the city, right at the back of San Marco, but specialized in books about Venice, but not just written by Italians, but in all different languages. Yeah, it's a lovely bookshop. I mean, it's fascinating. And actually, the history of the bookshop is fascinating as well. I mean, originally, I think it was mainly for uh, for religious books and theology. Yes, it was. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. And now it's changed quite a bit. The church doesn't really have an influence with it anymore. And it's owned by um, the Perfumeria. Uh, yeah, Venice. the Merchant of yeah. Venice. Yes, so so it did a beautiful restoration job. Yeah. In a very nice selection of um, foreign language books. And you can buy perfume as well. I know. And they got upstairs. They also got the tag of a pleasure to do it. In fact, I'm going to interview them soon. Is, uh, I did a perfume uh, oh, workshop. Yeah. That well. is very interesting. But I, back to you free talking. So uh, what, obviously you were presenting, each one of you was presenting a, a book or your books. But mm-hmm. what did you also talk about? I mean, what are you comparing genre? What are you comparing characters? Because I didn't manage to come over, so I don't know what actually happened. Okay, um, it was it was a very very nice evening. A very nice evening. We had, we had such a good turnout for it. It was lovely. Um, so I mean, I've known Gregory um, for, for, for probably for seven or eight years now. Again, we have the same agent. I've known David for about five years, and we've all written books set in Venice. And so we we kind of kicked it off by saying, "Why are you why Venice? What was so special about this city? Why do you write books about this city?" And then just thinking more generally about about character, about maybe the way the city has an influence mm-hmm. on character. And uh, we just had a very jolly time there for about sixty minutes. Yeah, good. Yeah. Also comparing, yeah, also because you got three different. Uh, uh writing styles well we're doing very very different things i think yes i, I mean, know writing, oh. yeah i mean i'm writing what i think are like contemporary mm. crime novels i mean an italian critic i think described them perfectly and said oh they're it's a giallo humoristico you know it's, ah, yes it's a comic yes. that's that's kind of the way i look at them yes yeah yeah um, that's true yeah david has written uh david's got a new series coming out um mm-hmm. He's got a very long, very strong reputation in, you know, in, in, in Italian crime writing in Rome. Um, mm-hmm. He's also written series set in Denmark and set in Amsterdam. So he's got a very strong reputation in international crime. And then um, Gregory, of course, had those very well-received books about mm-hmm. Alvise Marangon set yes. in historical Venice. Yeah, so I'm going to be interviewing yeah. him in the next few days. So oh, excellent. Oh, good. I'll do give him my best, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So we're approaching this from three very different angles, I think, and that was yeah. something nice to Yeah, to it's interesting. You, you've got three different angles, three different uh, styles, but the subject mm-hmm. is always one. 
Venice. Again, it's coming back to Venice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's uh, so cool. I, I like that. And uh, it's interesting now. Uh, you know, it would be nice also to see some some women talking as well. Some uh, women writers. Uh, that would be really good. That would I know. Genuinely, be really, really good. I mean, there are I other know. writers. I think we could certainly involve writing yeah. and crime fiction. Yeah. Women writers. Was it you? Was it you? I can't remember if it was you. Was Gregory? You were saying to me. Oh, maybe it was you last time we uh, the last interview we did uh, that you were saying you, it would be so nice to have uh, some kind of uh, crime book festival here in Venice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is. I've been talking about this with Gregory and, and David for years. Probably David came up with the idea originally, and mm-hmm. maybe this is a step towards it. You mm. know, it's. It'll be bigger next year. We have a bigger space, mm-hmm. and then we can see we can see what happens. I think after that, because these mm. things take an awful lot of time and an awful lot of organisation. Oh, and it, it, it's taken us five years to organise one bookshop event for <laughs> three of us. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, by your man, give it to well, the well, hands of a woman. In six yeah. months, you'll have your festival. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, since you ra- start writing your next uh, novel, a little bit of a preview, a little bit of a hint on what it's going to be. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I can, because I've just submitted the manuscript um, okay. the next book to my editor uh, mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. Okay. Because we she, she wanted to see it in um, October. So I thought, great, it's the middle of October. You've got plenty of time. And she said, oh, thanks, Philip. I'm just off to the Frankfurt Book Fair. I'll read it when I get back. So, <laughs> so I didn't have to rush quite as much as I was, uh, as, as I was having Ah, to. But maybe because she got to know you, she knows that she's it's like mine one. Well, uh, probably precise so, yeah. dates. So they know, they know we're going to hand it in time. That's why. I think that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't think there's too many spoilers here because if you go onto Amazon or if you go onto, I don't know, the Waterston site, you will see a listing for next year, next July, and mm-hmm. a book called The Venetian Candidate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's, there, there are, there's no description of the book and there's no cover for the book as yet, but it probably won't be very long until okay. it comes out. Okay. The idea of it came from this wonderful 1960s film called The Manchurian Candidate. Mm-hmm. It stars Angela Lansbury, who sadly mm-hmm. died a couple of days ago. And I just yeah. thought, well, the Venetian candidate, okay, let's do something with a bit of politics in it. Oh, gosh. And then, of course, we, we, we've just had an election, haven't we? I know, I uh, know. Yeah, and which immediately, we've had three weeks since the election, and, you know, parties are wheeling and dealing, and mm. there are some... There are some people involved who I do not like very much. <laughs> 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 let's say thing. that uh, let's say I can't say anything because I'm trying to actually get to interview some of his politicians. But right, okay. Uh, let's, yes. say, <laughs> let's say let's say um, we have a mayor at the moment that um, okay. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> okay. okay. Yes. Well, the, the, um, the mayor does not appear in the next book, um, but but 
um, a character who is not a million miles away might do. And we'll leave Ooh. it at that. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you have to be very, very careful with these things that they can't. Yeah, yeah. Also, right. because, I mean, if you just say, mm. even if you don't say the names and you just change the yeah. names, they, they can sue you in a flash. So, well, you don't do, do you know, it. My, but they, my kick you out, they kick you out of Venice. <laughs> <laughs> In my second novel, there's a very, very abrasive art critic called, mm. I called him um, Vincenzo Scarpa. Yeah, I remember that one. And yes. somebody said to me, is this based on anybody? And I said, oh, no, of course not, no. But <laughs> I think oh. Italian, Italians come up to me and say, this is obviously this person, isn't it? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Out of, yeah, yes. Well, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> but, you know, as long as you don't use the name and when you describe it. As long as you don't use the name, yeah. And don't just and, make you it know, you describe it a bit li little different uh, then yeah. you know they can uh, you know and then yeah uh, that's uh, Italian then it's, you know mm. Italians can be so 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 uh, adequately um uh, um permalosi I can't get oh my goodness me yeah. yes touchy you know what I'm, touchy yeah. yes it yeah. can be so touchy mm -hmm. I mean they don't have any self criticism whatsoever well, and well, I can well, say that because I'm Italian well okay? I think in some ways it's like well, we can say this about our politicians because we're Italian, but you can't. Yeah, but you can't. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it, this goes for everything. I, I can criticize, but you cannot because you're a foreigner. Okay, <laughs> Philip, it was so nice talking to you. So when's the book coming out? When since you and the over is coming out, when more or less? Right, well, what have we got coming up in the next few months? There'll be a paperback edition of The Angels of Venice next March. Um, and then there will okay. be the hardback edition of the Venetian Candidate next July. So, um, yeah, it's a busy year. Oh, wow. One after yeah. another. Ooh, that's going to be uh, running around of presentations, isn't it? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, because after COVID, of course, everything got cancelled. I mean, you know, you know mm. what it was like, of course, you know, yeah, you know course. With the business you're in, in terms of doing yeah. tours, everything just got kicked into touch for months and months and yeah. months. And I had books that yeah. came out when you know the bookshops were closed and the libraries were closed. So, oh, something that I forgot. Maybe I've asked you last time, and I, uh, forgive me if you already told me last time we talked and I forgot. Your books, because I always get your books in English, so I wouldn't know mm. this. But are your books in Italian or not? Uh, the first two are yes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the Venetian game became Il Ponte dei Delitti, and Vengeance okay. in Venice became Vendetta a Venezia. So the first two are available. Oh, okay. That's Okay, okay. You planning to do the others translated or not? I would love to have the others translated. Unfortunately, um, the Editors. publisher was acquired by another company and they didn't renew the contract. Ah. So that's a shame. Yeah, these, I mean, I, these publishers, it sounds like my publisher, it does it. He said, Yeah, we'll do it in English, we'll do it in English. Remember, paper price went up. So he says, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, well, that's, so actually been, that's actually been a serious problem. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know. He said he was more than happy to do it in English, but at least the new ones that he commissioned, he, prom he promised me they're both coming out at the same time mm. in Italian and English, so that would be good. Okay, that would be excellent. Yeah, that would be good. But I, I understand that, you know, people think it's so easy to get your, your book published in other languages. They don't understand that uh, when it comes down to a publisher, there's a lot of money to invest. It, it really and, isn't easy, yeah. And, of course, especially in... I was amazed the first two came out at all because, you know, I'm, I'm a British guy 
writing thrillers set mm-hmm. in Venice. And I thought, well, why do Italians want to buy thrillers written by a British guy set in their own country? Um, so I was not I, necessarily. Not necessarily, no. But it, it's uh, it's slightly more difficult. I'm, I'm just glad the first two were there. And well, you know what? I think if you okay, uh, honestly, having read the, your books, if you wrote them in a way where, let's say. Uh, there were discrepancies and things that didn't go in the, in the story of Venice. I would say, yeah, you probably would have found people up in arms. But because you did, they're written in a way that, uh, oh, yeah, it is like this in Venice. I don't think you you would have a problem with Italians. I think I, I really hope so. Because be, we, appreciate I really hope so, because when I wrote these, the last thing I wanted was for people to come back to me and think I was not being respectful towards the city because mm. I owe this city so much. I owe this country so much. And I would be so sad if people thought I was not being respectful towards their country or their city. So I, I do always yeah, but, but you, Yeah, but you, you live here. So in a way you actually can, you know the city better than some other Italians that don't live in Venice. Oh, so obviously yeah. Oh, and trust me, I wrote, I read things written by Italians about Venice, and it's like, uh, you sure? <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, Philip, it was so nice talking to you. And um, listen, uh, as soon as the new the new books, both of them, come out, and uh, we'll be in touch to speak uh, some more. Okay. That'd be lovely. That'd be lovely. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. where do? Sorry, last thing. Where can they find you with a website? Right. Okay. I'm at www.philipgwynjones.com. And just for spelling, Gwyn is G-W-I-N-N-E. And I also tweet quite a lot, as you probably know. Um, Oh, I do. Yeah. I'm (laughs) at at PG Jones Venice on Twitter. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you again. And speak to you soon. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao, Monica. It's been a pleasure. Ciao. A big thank you to Philip for this lovely chat. You can find him at www.philipgwynjones.com and on social media, as in Twitter, as PG Jones. Thank you again for listening. If you want to book a food tour or a cooking experience with me, you can find me on my blog, www.monicacesarato.com or at cookingvenice.com and also on all social medias with the handle at Monica Cesarato and at cookingvenice. Feel free to leave a comment or write to info at monicacesarato.com for more information about the people featuring the podcast or Venice. Bye-bye! Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.